In the year 2004, I was still pretty deep in my obsession with Lindsay Lohan. I know things have gotten kind of complicated with our girl Lilo since, but back then, she was kind of everything to us 90s kids. And when she starred in the movie Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, I obviously had my butt in one of the seats at the local AMC theater just as soon as my mom would drive me there. But did you know that there was a Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen book before the movie? Well, there was. It was written by Diane Sheldon and published in 1999. As you'll hear in this episode, I honestly can't remember whether or not I read it when I was a kid. But either way, I am so glad I had the chance to come to it as an adult for episode 151. Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen stars Mary Elizabeth Sepp, who would really prefer it if everyone would call her Lola. Along with her family, Lola has recently relocated from New York City to a New Jersey suburb, and she's decided to take the opportunity to truly reinvent herself. Lola is honestly one of the most confident teens I have ever read about and she is not holding back. Throughout Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, we accompany Lola as she navigates the social scene at her new school, goes toe-to-toe with Queen Bee, Carla Santini, befriends a shy but cool girl named Ella Gerard, auditions for the school play, and feels all of the feelings when her favorite band, Siddhartha, announces their impending breakup. When Carla tells their classmates that she'll be attending Siddhartha's farewell concert, Lola decides that she and Ella need to be there too, even though their parents aren't exactly on board. Let the chaos and the drama commence. On this episode, my guests and I admire Lola's self-esteem and one-of-a-kind voice. We talk about unreliable and unlikable narrators, especially those who are prone to lying. We consider Carla Santini as a villain and discuss the blurry line between good and evil in this book. We discuss teen friendships and popularity and privilege and reinvention and so many other things. And of course, we reflect on our memories of the Lindsay Lohan movie and the soundtrack that went with it. Let's give a big SSR welcome to today's guest, Rachel Lippincott. Rachel is the co-author of All This Time and the number one New York Times bestseller, Five Feet Apart. She holds a BA in English writing from the University of Pittsburgh. Originally from Bucks County, Pennsylvania, Rachel currently resides in Pittsburgh with her wife and their dog, Hank. Her new book is called The Lucky List and is now available. Learn more about Rachel's work at rachellippincott.com. Follow her on Instagram at Rachel Lippincott and on Twitter at R-C-H-L-L-I-P-P. Thanks to Rachel for joining me for this fun and appropriately dramatic episode. Join me on SSR social media for lots of fun and very little drama. We are at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter, and you can find the show on Facebook by searching the SSR Podcast or the SSR Podcast Community. Social media is a fantastic way to share the episodes you're listening to and to give me your feedback about them. Take a screenshot of this episode wherever you're listening to it, yes, like right now, and post that screenshot to your Instagram story. Tag me at SSRPod and maybe include a little note about what you're doing while you listen or about your favorite moment of the episode. I can't wait to see. There are so many exciting things happening in the SSR world right now, and I would love to have you participate in all of them. There's our free SSR book club, where we connect about the books featured on the podcast on Facebook and Slack, our brand new Shit We Read book club exclusive to Patreon subscribers, and so many other fun goodies for those Patreon subscribers too. You can get more details about basically all of this stuff over at the link in SSR's Instagram bio at www.ssrpodcast.com or at www.patreon.com slash ssrpodcast. Remember, becoming an SSR patron means that you're taking an active role in helping to keep this independent podcast going strong. 
thanks to all the sponsors listening to this episode. As this episode drops, the month of June is almost over, which means that audiobook month is almost over too. There's no better way to celebrate than with Libro FM. Libro FM is an audiobook platform that lets you support indie booksellers instead of giant corporations when you shop for your new reads. This is an extra exciting opportunity if you don't have any brick and mortar independent bookshops in your community. The audiobooks are exactly the same as the ones you buy from the big guys, and they come at no extra cost. If you're a Libro.fm newbie, you can get a discount on your first audiobook purchase from Libro.fm. Go to Libro.fm, that's L-I-B-R-O dot F-M, then use code SSRPOD when prompted. You'll get a two-month audiobook membership for the price of just one month. Are we ready to get a little bit dramatic? Let's go to the show. Welcome to the SSR Podcast. You may recognize SSR as an elementary school era abbreviation for silent sustained reading, but if you don't, that's okay. What it stands for here is Shit She Read. Each week, we'll crack the binding on an old school read written for kids or teens and talk about it from a kind of grown-up perspective. We'll obsess over heartthrobs, relive the frustrations of middle school, and say an occasional WTF to a beloved author. If we haven't met yet, I'm your host, Ali Hofkosik, freelance writer, lifelong bookworm, and lover of anything covered in rainbow sprinkles. So find your favorite reading spot and a glass of wine. We're about to revisit some literary throwbacks right here on the SSR Podcast. Hi, Rachel. Welcome to SSR. Hi. Thanks so much for having me on. We are talking today about a little book. Well, kind of a big book, actually. It was longer than I thought it would be called Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen, which was written by Diane Sheldon. She spells her name in a really interesting way, D-Y-A-N. Yeah, I thought so too. Yeah. I actually had to like say it out loud to myself and like, I don't know, I was having a weird like mental break about what her name actually was. But then I was like, oh, it's Diane. It's just spelled in a cool way. Totally same. I thought it was Dylan, I think, for like half of the book. And then I was like staring at the cover. I was like, it's not Dylan. Like what is going on here? I think I had the same thing. Really? It, was playing, it was playing tricks with me. Um, but yes, Diane wrote this book in 1999. And I think most people are more familiar with the title because there was an adaptation starring our girl, Lindsay Lohan, in 2004. <laughs> and you and I were talking a little bit about the adaptation before we started recording. But I do think like more people are familiar with the movie than yes. the book. But it was a book first, everyone. And I'm excited to talk to you about it today. Agreed. No, definitely. Yeah, I was way more I I don't even think I really like knew there was a book until all of a sudden it like popped up as a possibility to read it for this podcast but yeah I was a loved Lindsay Lohan loved all of the early 2000s work but more importantly than that was the soundtrack I actually had those like classic like Walkmans that like everybody had you know and there was the Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen like CD that I had and it was like my prized possession I listened to it all the time, constantly. It was like my number one CD. Well, weirdly, like I have not thought about this movie specifically in years, but the mm-hmm. like, I don't think it's, I mean, it's not the title song. I guess maybe it is, has stuck with me. Like, I feel like I've thought about the <laughs> song and it's like, I'm sorry, listeners, but I'm going to sing a second of it and it's going to be bad. Where it's like, that girl was a yeah. teenage <laughs> travel queen. I'm really dreading that I have to listen back to this when I edit this episode. It sounded great. Really? <laughs> yeah, okay. I, I feel like I look like I'm looking at myself in our like recording window. I have these, <laughs> like I have the mic on, I have the headphones on. It's, you know, maybe it's not as bad as I thought. But anyway, I do feel like that part has stuck with me. Mm-hmm, same. <laughs> I definitely remember going to see this movie and thinking that it was cool. And I hate to tell you this, but it has a 14% rating on Rotten Tomatoes. Does it really? Yeah. Oh my gosh, that doesn't surprise. <laughs> yeah. So maybe we shouldn't go back and rewatch it because after I read 
read the book, I was like, okay, it's on Disney Plus. I should totally go back and watch it. And I probably will do a bonus episode about it because I really (laughs) want to rewatch it. But yeah, it does not seem to have a lot of love. And I think it got pretty bad critical reception too. Oh no. Yeah. Honestly, like I feel like at some point during the pandemic, my wife and I did like a Disney like movie rewatch of a ton of them, like all the classics that are just like like the one with the skateboarders and Johnny Five O and like just like all of the stuff. And like a lot of them do not hold up. Like I rewatched Luck of the Irish that I remembered loving when I was a kid. And on the rewatch I was like, this ain't it. That was that was not that great. Was it like super offensive? I feel like it could have been super offensive. There was just like this horrible scene where like the grandfather, like leprechaun and like was like talking to like specifically like his two best friends, one of whom I think they're actually were both black. And he was like, nobody's been persecuted like the Irish were like in the like potato days. And I was like, I don't think this is okay. <laughs> I do not know why this was put out in like the early 2000s in the first place. But oh, no. Okay, so maybe maybe I'll just watch it with low expectations. But I do think that like the Lindsay Lohan of Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen and the Lindsay Lohan of Freaky Friday sort of blend together for mm-hmm. me. And I do remember like, idolizing that era of Lindsay Lohan. Like I liked her style. Mm-hmm. And I wanted to be like her or at least like this sort of amalgamation of the characters that she played in those two movies like I don't know I found her really inspiring at the time same I totally relate to that yeah especially like Freaky Friday like I really wanted to like get a guitar and be like super edgy and like (laughs) have my own little rock star moment (laughs) yeah I'm pretty sure I bought like low-waisted like camo cargo pants from Old Navy (laughs) after I watched that movie and I think I that was like my first experience with like dark nail polish Mm -hmm. which my mom was not into and I remember being like okay Lindsay Lohan but anyway that's neither here nor there let's talk about this book I can't remember if I read it and when I was like reflecting on why I even had this on my list because I was like it seems like nobody's read this because I got so many messages in my dms when I posted a photo of it that that people were like I didn't know this was a book but it must have been on a list somewhere because I assemble my like SSR master list of books to talk about on the show from like deep dives into lists of like popular children's books. So I must have found it somewhere or I read it myself. Mm -hmm. So it must have been a thing to some extent, everyone. I know it feels like nobody's read it, but (laughs) I'm happy that I did get to read it. Same. Because if I did read it as a kid, I don't really remember. And I guess I'll start up front by saying like, I really enjoyed this book. I had a lot of fun with it and I flew through it, which was really fun. Same. So did I. Yeah, I, I absolutely flew through it. I think it was, there were parts of it that I really, really liked. And then there were just certain elements that I was like, Uh, like the ending I felt like there could have been like a little bit more like development and it was also just a little fast forwarded I'm not sure if that's because like I did have the previous impression of the movie where they do like kind of give like an extra couple of scenes but yeah I I thought it was it was just like a great read I think it's honestly like the perfect like summer day beach kind of read you like sit down you just like pour through it and it's just like interesting characters chaotic characters (laughs) chaotic moments and scenes yeah it was it was overall like a really interesting read 
general chaos is I think general chaos to describe it. (laughs) So when we begin, we meet Lola Sepp, whose real name is Mary Elizabeth, but her real name is Lola. She feels that deep in her soul and she she really needs the world to know. And when we meet her, she and her family, I think are about a year into their move from New York City to a suburb in New Jersey called Delwood, which Lola refers to as Deadwood. And she's kind of talking about how this book is like her super honest, like 100% accurate account of something that happened to her. And I always love when YA books are framed that way. And it also, I think, opens up this really interesting conversation that I hope we get to have about like an unreliable or an unlikable Mm -hmm. narrator, because I kept thinking about that as I was reading this book. So Lola is new-ish in town. And I pulled out a couple of quotes from the first couple of pages that I just thought say a lot about her. So one of them is this, no one in my family truly understands me. They seem to think I'm going through a stage. Although even my mother admits that this stage has been lasting a pretty long time, like since I was born. (laughs) So good. And then talking about her move to Deadwood, she says the solid gold lining in the black thundercloud of moving to Deadwood was that it gave me a chance to recreate myself a little as all great actors do. Back in the city, she capitalizes city. I think that's important. Back in the city, at least half the kids (laughs) I went to school with were kids I'd gone to school with for most of my life. Um, And I do think like I, you know, I moved a couple of times when I was Mm -hmm. a kid and I was not and still am not nearly as extroverted as Lola is. So I don't think I was able to like go into these moves with (laughs) um, this sort of like gravitas about recreating myself. But I do think even if you're a shyer kid, when you get to move to a new school, there is a part of you that's like, okay, who am I going to be in this new environment? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. No, that's so true. Yeah, I think like even like going to like going off to college or like I remember I went to a different like high school than most of the kids from like my middle school and elementary school days which are like Lola says the people that grew up with you that knew that you like threw up at like a seven-year-old's birthday party kind of thing like stuff like that like there is totally that element where you're like I can be anybody I want but yeah I've definitely never personally had that experience to the level that Lola goes for it which I I really love and respect. (laughs) She has such wild confidence. Yes. I love that about her. I do. (laughs) Like in the face of victory, in the face of defeat, like no matter Mm -hmm. what happens, it just, you can't get her down. Like she is really one of the most optimistic characters that I think I have ever read on the page. For sure. Like her self-confidence, there's like never a moment where like she, like, like she just like never, I feel like a lot of times in like YA books and like a lot of times like in my own personal life too, like, you know, you're always like comparing like your outfits and comparing like these different elements of your personality or maybe your physicality or like different things, but she's so incredibly confident in like what she wears and how she acts and how she presents herself and her acting, just like all of it. Like she just knows who she is. And I think that's just like knows who she is, even if it's fictional and like all of a sudden, I think the one of my favorite scenes was when she was kind of describing her like parents' backstory and like lying the entire duration of it. And as she was lying, like it became truth to her. Mm-hmm. She was like, I can see them under the stars, like in New Mexico, like on this like wild honeymoon. Like all of these things were all of a sudden like real because they were to her. Like even the fiction was part of who she was. Yeah. I mean, she really believes all of this shit Mm -hmm. that she believes and (laughs) I think as hard as it is sometimes to like wrestle with a character in a YA book who just 
constantly lies. I mean, she lies so much in this book. And I think I think if there's maybe like a lesson to be found here, which I know is sometimes, <laughs> you know, I, I'm always curious what YA authors in particular think about like the responsibility for YA authors to have mm-hmm. a moral in their work. But mm-hmm. it's like hard for me to even be mad at her because she <laughs> really doesn't believe she's lying. Or if she does know that she's lying, she believes that it's in service of a greater cause and of doing mm-hmm. the right thing. Yeah, that's very true, especially like that last part. Like, yeah, like in the process of lying, it's like when she was lying in that one scene about her parents' backstory, it was like for the kind of sake of like her mother, but also because like her friendship with Ella and kind of wanting her friend's parents to kind of like respect her mom and also respect her as a possible friend for this person that she like knew they'd be BFFs forever with by the end of the first day of school. So yeah, so there's always some kind of greater purpose to her to her lying. <laughs> yeah, to her antics. I actually really liked the depiction of her family because we find out that so she has these twin younger sisters, Pamela and Paula, which I thought were great names, Mary Elizabeth, Pamela and Paula. And her mother is a potter. And I think there's like a pretty, pretty early on in the book, the author talks about the fact that like, Mary Elizabeth's dad is different than Pamela and Paula's dad. And neither of those Mm -hmm. men are around anymore. And their mom, Karen, is just kind of like holding it down and taking care of these three daughters and making decisions about like where they're moving and where they're living and taking care of them on her own. We don't really ever hear much about the twins dad in particular. And we don't, Mm -hmm. we don't meet Lola's dad until the end. But I really liked that. I think even in 1999, like that was still a pretty cool, fresh move. Totally. And then about two thirds of the way through the book, as Lola is like having to confront the lies that she's told Ella about her parents, she admits that like, while she has told a lot of lies about her dad, one of the things that was true is the fact that like her parents really did and do love Mm -hmm. each other because they're really good friends. Yeah. I thought that was really like a small detail, but I just like really, I always appreciate like a non-traditional family Mm -hmm. in the book again from the nineties. And I don't remember how much of that translated like perfectly to the movie, but I really liked her family. And I liked the fact that like Lola had all this angst about her mom when it was just like the two of them one-on-one. But once Ella's parents were judgmental of her mom, she was like, wait, hold on. Like this can't, Absolutely. this can't lie. Like I'm allowed to think my mom's lame. <laughs> You're not allowed to think my mom is weird. And I think also like it was sort of funny For just sure. the perspective she got because she thinks her family is like so boring compared to mm-hmm. her. But then she realizes that like Ella's parents who are super conservative and like super traditional think that her mom is like so out there. And she's like, wait, I need to like totally recalibrate the way yeah. I'm looking at my life. No, that's that's totally true. Yeah, I, I really love the character of the mom. And I really love that element that you brought up with the two thirds of the way through where she absolutely did say that like her parents did love each other. They were friends. And I think that was just such a refreshing perspective because a lot of times when like divorced people are depicted in any kind of media, it's like, and they hate each other's guts. Um, But like, here's Lola just like completely aware of the fact that like, even though their marriage didn't work, there still was this great relationship between them and kind of putting, you know, Lola and all of that above whatever ended up happening in their relationship. So I thought that was really cool. But yeah, no, definitely. Like the second there was like always throughout, I think a lot of like teenage girls can relate to that. You know, you always like butt heads with your mom. There's always maybe like some contention happening. But like, yeah, the second anybody was like a little bit disrespectful or maybe looking down upon her mom, she was like, ride or die. She was like, that's my mom. You can't do that. Like, I'm gonna do everything I can to like try to change the perspective that you have on her because she's 
awesome. She's just like a cool lady. Yeah. So I really love that. I really liked the way all of those dynamics were set up. And Ella in general just I think was like this interesting sort of like comparison point for Lola Mm -hmm. because Ella at the beginning seems like I feel like Lola's general vibe on Ella is like, well, you seem boring, but you have potential and therefore we are best friends. (laughs) Deep, deep down, there's something there. Right. Like I can work with this because I guess Ella made some comment about how when her parents took her to New York City, she thought it was beautiful. Mm -hmm. And like everybody else that Lola had encountered to that point was like, oh, that's so unsafe there. Like I could never live there. And having lived in New York for nine years, I totally relate. I'm like, if you can see the beauty in a city that I love, but that so many people think is like dangerous and scary and dirty, like we're good. But it does seem like throughout the book, Ella is almost Lola's project a little bit. And I think yeah. at the end, you know, we'll, we'll get into this more, but Ella sort of has a whole evolution of her own. And I, I thought that was really kind of interesting to see how Lola's project sort of resolved itself in the end. But Ella is like an interesting character. But we also have to talk about Carla, who is the other main character and is our villain. She is the sort of existing queen bee at Deadwood High. Mm -hmm. And she is the one that Lola has to go through in order to like realize her true self and like be the cool girl (laughs) she wants to be. What was your first impression of Carla? What did you think of her as a villain? Oh my gosh. Yeah, that's a good question. I think Carla was really interesting because from the very initial scene, the initial scene, like there's already this kind of back and forth between them, this kind of contention, you know, Ella does come in and say like, New York City's like the Milky Way. And Carla makes this comment that's like, yeah, the Milky Way, like if people are going to get like beat up and murdered or something. And everybody laughs because she's like the coolest girl in school. But yeah, I think it was just like, it was interesting. You know, there's this character that has so much power in like this high school ecosystem. Like, you know, if she wants to ice Ella and Lola out for like two weeks and then all of a sudden in the blink of an eye like take that defrost all of that and have everything go back to normal like she can she has the power to do that so I thought it was just really interesting and then I just really loved that like Lola throughout the book is kind of like determined to take her down a peg (laughs) a little bit and kind of like you know show her that she she isn't all that yeah, I thought I thought it was really interesting how they played off of each other and also just how like different they were, but then also in a lot of ways, like so similar. Like I think there was like a Publishers Weekly review actually on the back of my book that says something like, I actually wrote it down. It was a deliciously despicable villainess against an irresistible heroine glittering with wit and charm. And there was like part of me that was like, you can honestly like flip that depending on the on the page that you're on. Like both of them do some like pretty pretty uh, despicable villainess stuff and and both of them you know are glittering with wit and charm depending on the scene that you're looking at so I thought it was interesting how similar but at first glance different they are appearing to be yeah I think Carla was a little bit more nuanced than other villainesses Mm -hmm. that I've read in YA she's definitely more nuanced than like a Regina George yeah because there were certain things that she did and certain things that she said where I was like I don't know that you're wrong. Like, yeah, <laughs> Lola is out of control. Like, Lola is inserting herself in places that she shouldn't. They really start to butt heads when they both try out for the play, the high school musical mm-hmm. of Pygmalion. And I think that, like, I don't know. At first, of course, as a reader, you want to primarily, like, side with Lola because she's our heroine. For sure. But then Lola does start to overstep some boundaries and just like act in ways that you're like, have you lived in the world? Like how long have you been here? (laughs) I'm all for you expressing your individuality, but like also like let's be respectful and nice to people. And I do appreciate that Carla was like, girlfriend, like chill out. Like you're, you're being a little out of control. Sit down for a second. And I also just think that like 
so much of the elements of Carla's character that are hard to deal with come down to her privilege, especially financially. Mm -hmm. Like I sort of feel like, I feel like if the playing fields between Carla and Lola had been more level in terms of like their financial status and like Mm -hmm. the kinds of family that they came from, like, I think it would be even more difficult to distinguish who is like good and who is bad. I think that's really true. Yeah. I mean, from like the very start, like you find out that like Carla's mom sold Lola's family, like the house that she's currently living at. And like, all of a sudden there is like that instant power dynamic where like this person that like is within this like wealthy gated community and like, you know, kind of like between all of the friend groups in school because she like was a born to win and she did have that money and like the popularity and like the beauty and the aspect, but she was also like a another term used in the book, like a born to run everything kind of person. So like she had the brains and she had the wherewithal to like kind of do all of this scheming. Um, So yeah, there was a power dynamic from like the very like first time we kind of meet Carla where like, you know, she is wealthy and she knows like, you know, that Lola's like kind of got a single mom and she knows exactly probably maybe like the amount of income that like her family has and brings in. And, you know, there's kind of this like definite disbalance I guess between the two of them that's like definitely illustrated I think in the story yeah Carla is always going to have the upper hand because Mm -hmm. of just her like position in the community but I think that if that were not the case I think that Lola might not really seem like the hero as she wouldn't come out as like the clear hero in their relationship just because I think that like she messes with people too. And I love her for it. Like I look mm-hmm, very unlikable in so many ways. And I, one of the things that I kept writing down in the margins of my book was like in so many other YA books, and I've talked about them on the podcast, we have a main character or a narrator who is extremely unlikable and like so dramatic and so mm-hmm. over the top and says things that are so annoying. And I don't like them for some reason. I loved Lola I couldn't get enough of her but I was also self-aware enough as a reader to be like I can see how this could have gone the other way and it has gone the other way for me with books that have tried to do the same thing and I think it speaks to the voice and the writing what do you think about that yeah I think the voice was so strong in this book and like also knowing that it came out like what 1999 I think was when it was released like that was totally like a time where like probably a book like this that had that kind of voice that didn't really have kind of like as much of like a stereotypical like literary voice to it was like probably super big like I can see why it like got made into a movie and like probably a bunch of people read this book like yeah there was just such a voice to Lola and she was just such such an interesting character and like I think like there were so many times where like you really were rooting for her because of like just like the way her story was painted through her own lens you know just like how she was seeing the world that she was interacting with and also just like it was just entertaining. Like the things that she did, the way that she interacted with the world, like she wore like a cape to school because it was like, what, was it Gone with the Wind or something? Yeah. Yeah, it was like her her little like Gone with the Wind moment. And like, I remember that she like even used the cape like in one fight with Carla to like (laughs) kind of like swish it around and like behave like especially dramatically. But yeah, she's just, she's definitely like just a really interesting voicey character that like from the first page you like, you like feel it like that you like keep with it I think because of the voice it just really pulls you in yeah I laughed so much while I was reading this book and I just think that this author is really funny one of my favorite things was that like throughout the book when Lola would say something just 
entirely irrational. Like she would write something that didn't make any sense. She was being unreasonable. She was saying something to somebody that didn't make any sense. And the like dialogue tag would be like, I said in my usual reasonable calm. Like, again, like she honestly believes everything that she is saying that she believes. And I just really appreciate the like consistency that the author uses to like drive home Lola's convictions and her like perceptions of the world and of herself and of other people. No, that's so true. Yeah, there's totally like that element where like Lola is like d- like totally becomes convinced of the lies that she tells that they are like the truth. Um, yeah, and just like I, I another thing that I really liked was like how Lola like kind of reads people or tries to act in situations like at the end. But also there was an instance in the beginning with the drama teacher where she like said something that like could totally have been taken as like just very like self-confident and like, I'm the best kind of thing. But she did it with like a demure smile. So like I, the sting of it was kind of like removed because she was like, teachers love when you're humble or something. <laughs> and just like her her like knowledge of the world, I guess, and how she sees the world, I thought was just so interesting and so entertaining. Yeah, it was really cool. She's just so savvy in a way that most yes. high schoolers aren't. And certainly most of her classmates at Deadwood High aren't. Like, so she's auditioning for this version of Pygmalion, which Carla and, and the drama teacher seem to have collectively decided that they're going to adapt to be a little bit more contemporary. And instead of being like a flower vendor, Eliza, the main character, is going to work at a supermarket. And they spring this on like the people who are auditioning the day of, which I do think is really unfair. I mean, come on. I think that, think that Lola was totally in the right here thinking that this was ridiculous. Agreed. And she like at first goes up and she's giving the delivery (laughs) that she had practiced. And then they're like, okay, like you need to remember that you're now working in a supermarket in New York City. Like how is, how would Eliza (laughs) behave in this situation? And I'm not going to repeat it, but she just like fully gets into character. She goes back to her New York self and she just starts like cursing on this stage. Yeah. And she's like, no, I got this. Like I'm savvy enough. Like you want to push me to this? Sure. I will be the best. And she gets the part. So you have to hand it to her. For sure. Yeah. Like with such a sudden change for somebody that like the night before, like, completely had everything memorized but spent like an extra hour just like going over all of her lines and like making sure her accent was fine-tuned to like show up the day of and then all of a sudden be like yeah the character that you practice for is going to be like essentially an entirely different character and yeah there's totally like that moment where she like had to like channel the new the new version of this this person but yeah and then she absolutely just crushes it like the drama teacher was just like rolling in her chair laughing. Everybody absolutely loved it. And yeah, she got the part because she just was able to like really come into her own and come into her character, even though this was this moment. Like if it happened to me, I would not be able to pull it off. But Lola could, which is super cool. No, you can't you can't hold her down. And then after she gets the part, Carla says, to be totally honest, I think Mrs. Bogoli made the right decision. I mean, what is Eliza when you get down to it? She's a loser, isn't she? She's illiterate. She's ignorant. She's in a dead-end job with no future opportunities. She'll probably end up on drugs or as a prostitute. What else is there for her? And I do want to call out Mm. that in 1999, of course, like whether it's in 1999 or 2021, like this is a very gross simplification of the sex work industry. And it's like a very judgmental comment to make about drug use and about sex work. But I do think that this line like is just Carla at her most manipulative self. Absolutely. And I think the thing was, was like, especially with that particular comment, like she started saying that and like her friends even were like, they like didn't get what she was getting at. And then she like kind of did like something that was like, it takes a thief to know a thief. And they were like, oh, like you're saying that like Lola essentially is like, which is just awful. Like, I mean, 
I couldn't imagine saying that about anybody, but this was totally like one of those moments where like Carla, the Carla that like, you know, is underlying this like perfect glittering image person that exists. And like, it just comes out and it's rearing its ugly head. And like, I think you also see it like very much at the end, like I guess in her final lines to Lola, you know, where she's just, just kind of like looks her in the eye after they did this amazing performance and is like, man, the things that we could do together, like we could run this whole place. And you're like, oh my gosh, like there totally is this, like there's this evil that nobody else sees or everybody just pretends to ignore. I think, I think it's more the second one. Everybody just like ignores it. Like they, they just let it happen and it flies under the radar. And like, you know, that's just how things are kind of in this high school. But yeah, I think it was really interesting just like how how there was this whole other element of this character that Lola stood up against. Yeah. So. Did you notice that every single one of the girls, I, I think every single one of the girls had a name that ended with A? I didn't. Lola, but that like- Ella, Carla. I think there was an Alma, a Marta, or maybe a Marla. The sisters are Pamela and Paula. Yeah, I did not notice it to that extent, but that's really interesting. I wonder if that was intentional or if the author is just drawn to names like that. Yeah, I just kind of like went for it. Yeah, I feel like my editor would have been like, you got to change one. There's too many A names. So maybe it was like intentional. That's kind of cool. Yeah, I don't know. It seems like a little bit of a pattern to me. Um, Okay, (laughs) but the big turning point in the book happens when we get the announcement that Lola and Ella's favorite band, Siddhartha, is breaking up, which is just devastating to these girls. It's like one direction all over. (laughs) Seriously. Like, did you have, did you have sort of um, like a, a comparable music icon in this way? Cause I can't think of any band when I was Lola's age that would have sparked this kind of a reaction. I don't know. I mean, I guess like, yeah, I don't, I definitely don't have anything comparable, but yeah, I guess like the One Direction, not for me personally, but that was just like explosive when like they all broke up. I guess there was the Jonas Brothers, Mm -hmm, kind mm -hmm. of, I guess that's maybe the closest I can think of where, you know, I remember like a bunch of people were just super devastated when they'd announced that they were disbanding, but they're back together now. So it's all good. I mean, what a man got to do, like they're (laughs) back. (laughs) Time heals all wounds. Yeah, That song is such a bop also. I love that song. It so is. Yeah. So yeah, Siddhartha is breaking up and the world is ending. And it is interesting Mm -hmm. because I feel like this band is like the unifying force for everybody in school because Carla loves them just as much as Lola and Ella love them, which is, I don't know, I think it's one of those things you were talking about it before where it's like they actually have a lot in common, Mm -hmm. not just in terms of their personalities, but also like there are things when you're a teenager that just like bring you together, shared like experiences, shared pop culture, like shared interests. And so I thought that was kind of refreshing that it's not as though Carla was like, ew, like that band is so uncool. You guys are such losers. Like like, they were all into (laughs) Siddhartha and they were all just devastated that this was happening. No, for sure. Yeah, I really love that element of it too. We're just like, you know, she was in such mourning. And I was almost kind of surprised, honestly, when like she went into school the next day and like uh, equally Carla and her group of friends were like, I can't believe this is happening. And yeah, I think it's just really interesting that like there was this like common thread. You're so right. They do. They like acting. They have a lot in common. They love acting. They love the same kind of music. You know, (laughs) they like currently go to the same, like they have a decent amount in common. They probably could be at least like during the time or the production of the play, they could probably be pretty good pals. Yeah, if they just put their differences aside, they could be best friends. (laughs) And there is a sequel that came out in 2004, I believe, called My Perfect Life. 
And I do wonder if they end up becoming friends. Oh, it came out in 2002, not 2004. I do wonder if they end up sort of like joining forces and becoming besties. And hopefully they don't cause too much destruction to the school because they definitely could (laughs) use their powers for good or evil. But I think they could be friends if they just tried a little bit. I totally agree. I really want to read. I'm probably going to read the sequel now and see what happens. But you're so right. There's definitely the potential there for sure. So as part of this announcement about Siddhartha breaking up, they also announced that they're doing a farewell concert at, I, I don't think they say it's Madison Square Garden. Maybe they do. It's in New York City. I think it was. Yeah. Because okay. the mom was like, I'm not letting you go to Madison Square Garden. Right. Fair. <laughs> By yourself. Right. So they're 16. And this does lead me to another question that I wanted to ask you. I don't think we find out that they're 16 until like halfway through the book. I don't, because mm-hmm. I remember writing in my margin somewhere, like how old are we supposed to believe they are? And I think there were some references to the fact that like their classmates could drive, but Lola and Ella didn't mm-hmm. have cars. And then maybe about halfway through, we find out that they are 16. That's spelled out more explicitly. And I do think I struggled a little bit with like how old they were supposed to be. Like it was much (laughs) easier for me to enjoy Lola if I thought of her as like a (laughs) 14-year-old. That's interesting. So I kind of just went with that. Like I was just like, oh, they're 14 years old. And that made it more fun for me. But every time I was reminded that they were 16, I don't know, I I guess I like didn't find them quite as endearing. No, that's so interesting. Yeah, I think you're kind of right with that I feel like 16 like how Lola acts and the things that she does and I'm like Lola maybe you should chill just a little I don't know like I'm not saying that but like yeah I think I think in terms of like the things that she does I was reading it maybe closer to 14 maybe just like a little bit younger than I guess she was (laughs) yeah so their parents are like okay you're teens you can't go into the city alone even Lola's mom who has some familiarity with New York because they live there she does not want them to go by themselves she suggests that maybe Lola's dad could take them. And Lola was like, that's stupid. How dare you even suggest that we go with our dad? That's so embarrassing. So Lola has to find a way to go to this concert because Carla has made it very clear and very public at school that she is not only going to the concert, but that she has VIP passes to the concert and that she's also going to the after party at Stu Wolf's house. And Stu Wolf is the dreamy lead singer of Siddhartha. First of all, I have a lot, of, I have a lot to say about this because I know that Carla's dad is some like big shot who works for Stu Mm -hmm. and is part of the like music industry. But I'm sorry. It's weird to me that like Carla's dad would think it was normal (laughs) for his like 16 year old daughter to go to this like industry party, which we learn at the end of the book is again at a rock star's home. Yes. Yeah. Especially like when you find out like just how chaotic like Stu is slash the rest of the band, like the idea that a dad would be like, yeah, I'm going to bring like, my 16 year old daughter and like her best friend to this like very adult rock star party and like just let them have some fun there like (laughs) I was like I'm not sure that this is possibly the best thing you could do the best parenting decision you could make here right it's not like it was like Nickelodeon presents yeah (laughs) the farewell tour after party it was like a literal like very intimate kind of vibe of an after party yeah. in someone's home. So that was sort of weird. And that hit me later on in the book, or it was sort of strange to me that that had been the decision. But Lola, of course, is like, well, I'm going to I already have tickets. I'm going to both my mom is an, an artist who sells things to Stu Wolf. So we can go to and now she has to figure out how to actually go to the concert. And she again, is just like, so hilariously confident that she's going to be able to figure out a solution, even though so sure. they literally can't get they don't know how to get tickets. They, they show up in New York City without tickets. 
And the only thing that she has really figured out is what she's going to wear. Mm-hmm. And she manages to steal the like finale dress from the play, Eliza's big like ball gown, with the help of a boy named Sam from school who knows how to break into the closet where these costumes are held. And the image of Lola and Ella on the train in the bathroom trying to change into their, <laughs> their concert outfits and Lola thinking that this like ball gown, this like bright red ball gown is, with the, black velvet cape <laughs> is the look to wear to like a hot, sexy Siddhartha farewell tour at Madison Square Garden. This is where I'm like, it's hard for me to believe that you're this savvy city kid because I love the dare to, sure. I love dare to be different. Like please dare to be different. But like, I just feel like maybe you've gone a little too far. And yet I really loved the image of her like dressed in this outfit and being like, this is of course what you would wear to this event. For sure. Like, I love her individuality. And I love that she was like, this is the fit I have to wear tonight. But then yeah, like they, well, lo and behold, they can't scalp tickets, they end up trying to sneak into the concert. And she's trying to sneak in wearing this as an it's just like, I'm like, I know you're you've been super savvy up until this point. But I feel like even you could be like, maybe like this bright red ensemble that I'm currently rocking probably is not the best thing to be wearing as I try to blend into the crowd and like go inside this concert that I don't have tickets for. So yeah, that was funny. Yeah, she lost me a little bit there. But not only can they not get into the concert because they left their money on the train. So they can't yes. even scalp tickets. <laughs> it's pouring rain. So she's wearing this dress. <laughs> I don't even remember what Ella's wearing. She's wearing like the coolest thing she owns, which by Lola's estimation is like not that cool. They're <laughs> soaking wet. They've been drenched. in the rain. They're drenched. They are like just marching through New York City, trying to get downtown to go to this after party because Lola, again, heard <laughs> is like, it's fine if we can't get into the concert. We just have to go to the party because we need the most important that we're cool. And I just think like I had to keep reminding myself that they did not have cell phones. Yeah, I totally like I was thinking about like if somebody from Gen Z read this and like if one single person had like an iPhone 8 with social media, like all of this would have just been like thrown out the window from the start. Like, I feel like it would be really difficult for Lola to have just completely like reinvented herself in this new place, but also just like, could have taken a picture when, you know, Stu came barreling out of the apartment. Like (laughs) there are so many moments where like, it totally could have just been, if one cell phone had been involved, it would have been a different story. <laughs> yeah, I mean, Gen Z tech would have created so many solutions. There could have been an Uber or a Lyft to yes. keep them dry. <laughs> Even if they couldn't actually get photos with Stu Wolf to post on Instagram, they could have like photoshopped a photo of themselves with him so that then they wouldn't have had Definitely. to worry about proving themselves to Carla. So yeah, there would have looked, a lot of things would have been different in 2021 with access to this technology. But again, Lola's like, it's fine. It's fine. We're going to go downtown. We're going to get into the party. And they, of course, don't get into the party because have we learned nothing, Lola? This this isn't what happens. Like, you can't pretend to be sick. I think their plan was like, I'm going to pretend to be sick and say that we need to come inside to, like, call Lola's mom to come get us. Do you think that makes you cool? It doesn't. It just doesn't. Like, that doesn't make it any better for you to be like, sorry, I'm sick. I need to call mom. I have to go in right now. No, yeah, that was – I think that was also, like, the second time that she, like, pulled, like – either, like, my sister is sick or, like, I'm sick to, like, try to, like, get something to work. And I was like – you got to get some new tricks in this bag at this point, Lola. Like, it's just not working anymore. Yeah, it's just, it's just not working. It's not the thing. And this whole thing is, it makes me laugh so much. Um, <laughs> I think that, like, I think that this whole matter of Stu Wolf 
now stumbling out of the apartment wasted. Yes. And then being like, this is our opportunity. Here we are. <laughs> like everything's fine now. I think what sort of like confounds me the most about that, and there are a lot of things that confound me about it, is that to Lola, it seems to solve this core problem, which is that she honestly believes that it's like a zero sum game between mm-hmm. her and Carla, and that like only one of them can capture Stu Wolf's attention, and that one of them inevitably will. Mm-hmm. Like she believes that if she is not inside the party, that Carla will be the one to like sweep Stu Wolf off his feet. And he is 29 <laughs> years old, important to note. Yes. So she is like, oh, as long as he's not there, then of course it will be me. Like she has this weird sense. It's either of, or. It's either or. Only, there can only be one winner and there will be a winner. Like there's no thought to the fact that like maybe Stu Wolf is in a relationship. Maybe he's not interested in women. Oh, I don't know. Maybe he realizes that it's wildly inappropriate for him to be interested in <laughs> either of two 16-year-old of girls. Things. Like it's just yeah. bad. So, but I love the, again, the confidence with which she's like, this is what's going to happen. One of us will walk away having really attracted his attention and who knows what could happen from there. It's going to be great. So she's like, oh, okay, he's not in the apartment. We're good. Elle and I can just hang out with him for the rest of the night. And to make a long story short, like he clearly has been drinking a lot. He's Mm -hmm. not really in any position to be like hanging out with anybody, especially not to underage girls. And they take it upon themselves to like make sure that he's going to be okay. They take him to a diner to get him a coffee and he goes into the bathroom and escapes. But while he's in the bathroom, this is one of my favorite lines of the book. They basically <laughs> say like, as Stu is in the bathroom, we congratulated ourselves on how well things were going. <laughs> They're like there with this man that like is totally blacked out, like bordering on consciousness. Like, and she, they're just like, yeah, this is, I'm going to be honest, this night is going better than I expected. Right. And it's like, are you serious right now? No, for sure. Yeah, I think like, totally like what you said with that. I the, the image that I totally got in my head was like going to like a Jonas Brothers concert and like Bermuda shorts and like a matching tank top and being like, they're gonna fall in love with me. Like, it's me. And here like, I am. Just like that amazing, like, 14, 15, 16 year old confidence that like Lola absolutely has in this moment. But yeah, and then just like, you know, they're completely like probably still like a little bit drenched from like the walk through the rain experience. They just like lugged this man into this diner trying to get him like a coffee and like he orders tries to order this like elaborate like burger onion ring meal that they do not have the funds to pay for. And then he like goes to the bathroom to like he, does he say piss? I think he's like, I got to take a leak. Or I yeah. have to like take a wee or something. Yeah, I kept thinking of him as Russell Brand and forgetting Sarah Marshall. That was my image. Perfect casting. But yeah, to like take a wee and like probably honestly like throw up some more because he's already like covered in vomit. And like these two girls are like, yeah, this has been a <laughs> solid evening here in the city. Here's the Big Apple. Like They're like, we are crushing it. <laughs> they're like, honestly, like I had no idea that it could go as well as it's going. Yeah, this is like, who needed to go to the concert? Like, we're we're having the best time. So they do end up being taken to the police station. And Ella decides that she should call her dad instead of her mom, because her dad's not going to get as mad as her mom. And in this exchange, she forgets that up until this point, Ella has been under the impression that her dad is dead. And I will say this was like a fucked up moment for me. Yeah. And it was more fucked up like early on when she told the lie because of all of the lies she told, like, this is one that's like really hurtful and painful and also just is like ignorant to the fact that there are actual kids and people who have gone through this experience. And like in telling a lie about it, she's making light of it. And I would imagine that a kid who is reading this book who maybe has lost a parent would be like, 
oh, ow, like that's actually like Very really true. messed up that somebody would do that. So when that comes back around later on, I was kind of happy that like she has to face the music on it because it was really bad that she told that lie. Same. And Ella is mad at her, but like not as mad as I wanted her to be. I Yeah, I totally agree with that point. Yeah, like I really wanted Ella to have, I think, more of a reaction. Like she was obviously upset. And she's like, why did you lie? Like, why did you do this? But then like two pages later at the start of the next chapter, she's like, I've decided to forgive you. And you're like, no, like this girl who's like support your best friend who brought you on this trip to New York and like kind of has you in this a bit of a sticky situation. Like she lied to you. Like I, I like wanted her to be more upset and I think kind of like call her out just a little bit more, especially because they are like best friends and like, you know, it is like a bit of, it is Lola's personality trait to like kind of lie and like embellish the truth and do all of these different things. But like also like as a best friend, like that's like hurtful to like kind of know that this person that like you're close with and care about and like kind of have stood up for, I guess, against like Carla and like to your parents and all these people like isn't even telling you the truth. So yeah, I definitely wish there was more from that moment for sure. Yeah, especially because, and I referred to this earlier, Ella seems to have kind of had like this transformation over the course of this Mm -hmm. night. Like for most of the book, I think Lola sort of underestimated Ella and was like, you know, she's so shy and she she doesn't use these words. But I think Lola's perception of Ella was that she was kind of weak and that like she needed Lola. But when they are dragging Stu through New York City, it's it's Ella that really knows what to do to the extent that I actually made a note to myself where I was like, and this is a this would be a whole other book where I was like, does Ella have some personal experience with like somebody who mm-hmm. drinks a lot? It really felt like Ella knew what she was doing and wasn't afraid in that situation where Lola really was out of her depth. And so it made me kind of sad that like, I, I guess I wanted, I wanted Lola to have to take some of the good with the bad in terms of mm-hmm. Ella's like new and improved confidence, because I just, I don't know, I felt like she should have had a little bit more of a reaction, but they do make up fairly quickly. They go to the party. And in the end, like big drama is that Carla manages to convince the entire student body that Lola and Ella actually weren't at the party, even though they did see each other. There was a visual. There was yeah. a visual, but... Carla didn't take a photo of Lola, or at least she doesn't share a photo with the class. Mm-hmm. And so like, this is this is Lola's ultimate undoing, because she like really only cared about beating Carla. And then Ella has this cool moment where she's like, but we know we were there. So like, why do you care? Yeah, no, I really love that. I think Ella really, yeah, it was maybe one of my favorite characters in the book, I think just because like, there was totally that moment where right near the end, she really does, I think, kind of talk some sense into Lola as Lola like you know this the huge devastation of this she doesn't even want to go perform in this play that she cares so much about and like has put so much work in for and like this is her thing like her thing is acting and like she just like can't do it and like you know Ella just comes and is like what like we were there we know we were there and even more important than that like this is your thing like acting's your thing like I'm gonna be there to support you like your mom's gonna be there to support you like it was a very much like a know your tribe kind of moment like remember what's important kind of moment Um, And I really love that, like, Ella was kind of, like, the voice of reason and all of that when, like, Lola was just struggling to kind of find (laughs) Lola again, you know? We all need a friend like Ella because when Lola decides that she's going to pretend to be sick, again, she, like, loves to pretend to be sick for all kinds of reasons. (laughs) She's going to pretend to be sick so that she doesn't have to perform and then go through the humiliation of going to a cast party at Carla's house. And Ella is not standing for it so much that I actually wrote down a lot of the lines that she throws at Lola. And I wanted to share some of them because again, we all need an Ella in our life. Um, Ella says things like, I can't believe I'm hearing this. This isn't like you at all. What happened to the person who never gives up? What happened to the person who told me her motto was never say die? 
you're just the same as Carla, aren't you? It's all me, 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 and I, I, I. Nobody else counts for anything, do they? You haven't given one thought to anybody else in all of this. It's been all about you. What about me? I was miserable until you came to Delwood. Totally miserable. I thought that everybody's life was like mine, just doing all the things you're supposed to do when you're supposed to do them and never questioning anything. I thought that when I grew up, all I could expect was a life like my parents. And then I met you. You gave me courage, Lola. You taught me that you can make life what you want. You're a sham, Lola Sepp. That's what you are. I thought being the best Eliza Doolittle you could be was what mattered to you. But it isn't. Because if it was you, you'd go on tonight and you'd be the best Eliza Doolittle no matter what Carla Santini says or does. Don't you get it, Lola? That's the one thing she can't do anything about. The one thing nobody can do anything about. And you're just going to hand it to her. And I think parts of that speech were actually included in the trailer for Confessions of a Teenage Drama Queen because I did watch the trailer a few days ago. <laughs> um, and so, yeah, that big moment for Ella is like, I think in the movie it's played up more to be like, isn't Lola fantastic? In the book, it felt much more <laughs> like a condemnation, like get your shit together kind of moment. For sure. Rather than like a celebration. But Ella is successful and Lola does go and perform. Mm-hmm. And then she and Carla have this weird interaction in the bathroom after the show that I like wasn't really sure what to do with. Yeah. I'm like, are you guys friends? Is it like game recognizes game? I just couldn't figure it out. Yeah, I totally read it as like game recognizes game kind of thing. Like because Carla had kind of played her best card and that was like, you weren't at this party. Like pretty much you're not the person you're cracked up to be kind of thing. And then Lola kind of has this moment where like she does have, you know, a couple days where she like, I don't want to go to school. I'm feeling sick, like all that kind of thing. And, but then she comes and she performs and it's like, what was it? Like 10, like what's the standing ovation? Like 10 curtain calls. Everybody's like roaring in the audience. Excessive. That would have taken so long. I would have left. I'm sorry. 10 curtain calls. I would have been, I would have been out by like two. I would have been like, okay. I'm like eating ice cream at home. Like (laughs) great show guys. No, for sure. But yeah. And, and then I think that was totally to me. I read it as the moment that was just like, uh, although I guess there was kind of the very last line of the book was where here I like, I'm going to probably just like read it just so that I can. But yeah, I totally read it as like, like recognizes like, because there was that moment where Carla did say that thing that was like, yeah, we could rule this school together. At one point she says, I have to hand it to you, Lola. There's more to you than I thought. No, I love like, I'm like what? <laughs> which is also like a little, like totally backhanded. That's totally like, you know, I didn't think you were very much, but yeah, <laughs> but yeah, totally. Um, Lola says this thing. Well, first Carla says, you know, sometimes I almost think it's a shame that you and I are in the same club. And Lola says, you've got to be kidding. I said to her reflection, I couldn't afford to belong to any club you were in. Carla laughed again. I guess she took it as a compliment. Yeah, classic. <laughs> and it's just like, like there's for sure that moment where like I totally read it as like like recognizing like like the, it was this moment where like Carla kind of gave her like her due diligence. I was like, yeah, I threw some stuff at you. Like, but you came out here tonight and you absolutely crushed the performance. And like, I guess I can give you your props in this moment. But then there was like kind of that moment from Lola that was just like, I guess she like thought I was joking, but like I wasn't. <laughs> So like, there's still like that. We're going to keep battling this out. We're 16. We got two more years of high school. Like, and a sequel to a sequel. To and a sequel. <laughs> Diane Sheldon is like, I need a good cliffhanger. Yeah. <laughs> no, for sure. Totally. Yeah. I really want to read the sequel now and see where the relationship goes. Yeah. If you do, you have to let me know how it is. I totally will. <laughs> I really want to know. So I guess before we start to close out, I'm curious. I know I mentioned earlier, like, that I was thinking a lot while I read this book about this concept of unreliable narrators. Mm -hmm. And that's something um, that we talk a lot about in my writing classes. I'm getting my MFA in fiction right now, as a lot of listeners know. And we talk a lot in my classes about 
unlikable narrators, unreliable narrators. I think we talked, we covered sort of the likable, the likability factor, which I know is a word yeah. that I, people have mixed feelings about. I have mixed feelings about it, but I do think the reliability factor is different. And I'm curious what your take is on this like unreliable versus reliable narrator question as it relates to this book. Yeah, that is a great question. I think the thing you quoted it earlier, there was totally a moment where Lola very much was like, this is the whole truth and nothing but the truth. And like the second she said that, like it like hit in my mind that was like, this is probably not going to be the whole truth. Right. It's like 50% lies. <laughs> no, for sure. I was like, the, the second that happened, I was like, okay, like this is probably where things start to get interesting. But I think there's just like, and also just like the 10 curtain calls at the end. Like, I think that was just like, a, there were a couple moments where like all of a sudden it like didn't quite pass the litmus test. And I think it was like a little bit like, I guess Diane as like the writer kind of showing the hand a little bit to like kind of wink at the reader to be like, not all of this may be exactly as it seems, which I really loved. But yeah, I think there's just like, you know, Lola as a character, you know who she is and you know, like how she performs and how she always wants to be an actor and like all these embellishments she makes in her own personal life to her own personal story. And I think like, having her be a bit of an unreliable narrator is so within character and just makes the book so much better and more entertaining because you're like, maybe a great deal of it was fiction, but I absolutely love the fact that it was. <laughs> yeah, I think that's a good assessment. So I know you didn't read this book when you were a kid, so we can't compare it to that experience, but you did see the movie. And so I would assume that you had some expectations about the book going into it. And I'm curious, if the book met those expectations, if you liked it more or less than you thought it would, just kind of how you feel finishing the book? Yeah, that's a good question. Yeah, it was definitely a different experience. I think the ending of the movie is a little bit different. I think, as I mentioned, they take it like two more scenes. And then Lola, like within the within the movie, she actually does go to the after party. There's a moment where like Stu shows up and like gives her like her necklace or something. Was it her necklace that she like left at the party? I think so, yeah. There's like and more of a, a moment sudden, with them. I yeah. feel like Stu's, maybe Stu's younger in the movie, so it's like less weird. Mm -hmm. Yeah, hopefully. Um, yeah, I think that's true. But we'll say but, that. We'll say that. <laughs> yeah. But he like shows up to this party and like gives her this necklace and like Carla like runs off crying, which I feel like I liked this ending more in the sense that I like that there was kind of this moment where they kind of like saw each other eye to eye. But then Lola in her head is like, but I still have the upper hand. But I also like I think like in watching the movie when I was a kid, I just like loved that like final validation that like, you know, there's this character that like, does tell these lies and embellishes these stories and like you don't know what's real sometimes and what's like not real and then all of a sudden Stu shows up with this necklace and it's like it's kind of like big fish like it's like a big fish moment where it's like maybe it's all real <laughs> you just don't know um and I love kind of when stories have that moment especially like in this one yeah so that was really cool I thought it was fun I loved her voice I enjoyed it mm -hmm. I'm tempted to read the second book too so maybe at some point later this summer other than confessions of a teenage drama queen Rachel what have you been reading lately that you might recommend to our listeners Oh my goodness. Um, I just picked up One Last Stop from which everybody is wait. talking about. I'm so stoked to read that book. I'm currently like on revision deadline now. So it's been a little bit like, I can't wait until I'm turned in these revisions and can just like dive into everything I want to read. Um, I just read uh, When We Were Them, which is coming out later this year from Laura Taylor Namey. It was incredible. Um, I think she's probably written two of my like top 10 YA books of all time. It's a really cool book about 
three friends and it kind of starts out like something's happened that's kind of like broken apart their friendship or it threatens to break apart their friendship and kind of coming into that and finding out what happened it switches between the past and the present and kind of this character working through all of that stuff and the breakup of their friendship and the potential breakup of their friendship great book absolutely loved it um i just read oh um honey girl which was super good i absolutely love that story um i love like you know uh, adult rom-coms which are super fun and last but certainly not least here the whole time by vitor martins super good um it's about a boy named felipe who finds out that his crush Kayo is gonna stay with him and his mother during winter break and it is just such an adorable read about kind of like all of the feels coming into your own very real teenage feelings about like experiencing like your first crush and your first love and the big moments of that and the like heart pattering magical existence that happens. Um, so I absolutely love that one as well. But yeah, that's that's currently what I'm checking out. <laughs> well, I will include links to all of those recommendations in the show notes for this episode, as well as links to your books. And I know you have a new one out now, The Lucky List. Congratulations on that. And I would love if you would share Thank a little you. bit about it for our listeners. Absolutely. Yeah, The Lucky List tells the story of a girl named Emily, whose life is pretty much in shambles the summer before her senior year of high school. She has wrecked things with her boyfriend, Matt. Her dad is selling her childhood home. Uh, her best friend, Kira, is away for the summer at this like chaotic sleepaway camp named Misty Oasis. And in packing, she discovers her late mother's summer bucket list and decides to duplicate it with Blake, who is the swoony new girl in town. Um, and they go on just a whirlwind summer of adventures from you know cliff jumping to getting tattoos to skinny dipping even. Um, and kind of as she moves further and further down the list, her connection with her mom that she's really been struggling to find over the course of the three years uh, since she passed away begins to, you know, deepen. She begins to find that again, but also her relationship with Blake begins to deepen as well into something she wasn't expecting. So yeah, it's it's a story about kind of, you know, discovering yourself and kind of discovering the secret part of yourself that you never got to share with the person that knows you best. So I'm super excited that it's out in the world. <laughs> Oh, that sounds so good. And listeners, if you're listening in real time, we will be giving away a few copies of The Lucky List over on SSR's Instagram this week. So be sure to go check that out and enter to win. Rachel, it has been so much fun talking to you. I really appreciate your time and I hope we get to chat again soon. Absolutely. This has been such a blast. I had so much fun getting a chance to read this book and I am totally going to read the sequel and probably watch the movie tonight. So. All right. I need you to report back on all of that. I absolutely will. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Bye. SSR is part of the Frolic Podcast Network. Find more podcasts you'll love at frolic.media slash podcasts. Thanks so much for listening to the SSR Podcast. Check out our website at www.ssrpodcast.com for show notes and other information. And be sure to connect with us on social media for updates on upcoming episodes, behind the scenes inside scoop, and some good old fashioned book talk. Find us at SSR Pod on Instagram and Twitter and search SSR Podcast on Facebook to join the group. To reach out directly, you can send me an email at hellossrpod at gmail.com. If you're loving the show, it would mean so much if you could subscribe, leave a five-star review, and share your thoughts with a comment. And don't forget to tell your friends, too. In the meantime, happy reading. I'll see you next time on the SSR Podcast. <laughs>